Straw Hut Media. Well, as you know, we live in a very divided political time these days, right? No surprise, you know, that uh, especially listeners of this show, nobody really gets along with many conservatives. Um, they have a, a very specific reputation, I think, in the country now um, as really just being uh, very problematic. And I have a unique friendship with uh, somebody that I've known for probably about 12 years at this point. His name is Craig Smith. This week on Pride, we're speaking with Will Sterling, an actor, writer, and director based in Los Angeles. Will hosts a podcast called History Rated R with his co-host, Craig Smith. He is the former chair of the film department at Cal State Long Beach, but also a, more important than I, former presidential speechwriter who wrote for President Ford and President George H.W. Bush. Wait, President Ford? Yes, President Gerald Ford. I feel like that was a hundred years ago. He is, he is, as of this recording, he will be 77 years old tomorrow. He was a young speechwriter at the time, yeah. Uh, Craig is a, I call him a walking contradiction because he is a gay Catholic conservative. That's a fun combo. It is a fun combo. Um, But the difference is that Craig is an interesting window into the evolution of politics. I think because of his age and because of what he knows and because of his um, his work history, it sort of gives us and holds up an interesting kind of history book and magnifying glass to how the parties sort of shift and change over the years and what somebody who is now 77 years old and identifies as what is an authentic conservative. how things are so different. You know, Craig is a big proponent of gun control and climate change and, you know, respects separation of church and state. And uh, these are all things that we kind of cover in some of these questions that I'll throw to, but, um, or the clips that I'll throw to. Throughout this episode, Will will share clips taken from their podcast, History Rated R. Which the tagline I have for it is that in history, everyone's a piece of shit. Because it's like, you kind of can't get into the nitty-gritty of history without understanding that, like, everyone's canceled. He'll give some insight into Craig and how he came to be a walking contradiction in terms of his sexuality, beliefs, and political party affiliation. Craig is a very, very um, anti-present-day Republican Party Trump individual. Um, And I think, you know, his story is just fascinating because... Because of those three facets, but because of the fact that when you listen to him speak and you hear him talk about these things, it's like, oh, he actually is, um, he puts his money where his mouth is. And this this doesn't sound crazy when you hear him talk about it. But when you hear anybody talk about it today, it sounds pretty outrageous. I'm Levi Chambers, and this is Pride. Wait, before we get into this, I have questions. Yes. One, how did you become friends with this individual? Two, because I feel like there's a lot of elements here that you don't agree with and you're very vocal about certain ones. For example, I have a screenshot of an Instagram story that was in your story yesterday that I actually screenshotted it because I liked it. But um, it's a sticker that (laughs) says, God loves you. But if you keep defying him, you will only suffer his wrath. And you added like a little caption to that and said, God loves you unconditionally, unless you don't do what he says and then he'll fucking kill you. That's right. So my question to you is like, how did you become friends with this individual who um, has very different beliefs than you? Well, that's the thing is I think like it sounds on the surface that the the beliefs are fundamentally very different, but in a lot of ways they're the same. And I think that's how we became friends. And I obviously present day me is a very liberal, um, progressive individual. I'm very um, personally, I'm, quite anti-religious, which I didn't used to be, you know? So I think who I used to be when I met Craig was at a time where I actually used to bend more conservative coming right out of college. Shocker, surprise, surprise. I was a lot more religious, um, very much so. And I, the evolution that I've gone through over the years, there's been a lot of things that have that have really pushed me. I was always socially very liberal. And then once Sandy Hook happened, I was like, okay, once it's happened to children and no one seems to give a fuck, like it's over. So then I became very, very vocal in being critical of both um, conservatism and and religion. So Craig, I met as the chair of the film department when I was the student representative in the department. And 
he and I and some other students like would have dinner and just talk about the arts and talk about film and talk about music and talk about different things. And it became this very like mentor kind of relationship where Craig is a wealth of knowledge and information, which is why I want to bring this story to the podcast to show that one friendships can sort of exist across multi generational gaps. And two, that differences, especially with compassionate people are not as far as they seem uh, when we were willing to dig a little bit under the surface. So if I say that someone's a gay Catholic Republican, everyone's like, what the fuck? How could you be friends with this person? And I'm like, it's actually quite easy. Um, and his stance on a lot of these things, as far as it goes constitutionally, um, also kind of proves a lot of these things like separation of church and state. Okay. Okay. I'll buy it. <laughs> hey, I do have a question about that though. When you ha would have your dinners and stuff, was there any element? Did you have to come out to him a straight? No, I did not. I did not have to come down to the street. I think that was, um, I think that was sort of acknowledged information. Craig talks about what he sort of considers authentic conservatism, and I figure that he could probably explain this better than I could. You brought up something interesting that I think uh, I, I want to talk about, because especially as we look at even like the premise of our show, right? In history, everybody's canceled. So what can you say? What can't you say? What's okay? What's not okay? You are a lifelong Republican. Well, I was. Um, I now call myself a conservative because of the Trump administration. I was a never Trump. And once they elected him and then went along with him, yeah. um, I do not consider myself a Republican. I consider myself an authentic conservative. Okay. So, because I feel like people who say I'm a conservative, that also has kind of the same like, because like they're with Trump, you know what I mean? Yeah. So well, you feel me. like the terminology, what did you say? Authentic conservative? Authentic conservative. So, I mean, but you, you have been your whole life. Yeah. And I think that that's always been a unique part of our relationship is that when people hear that, um, they're like, how, what? You know, and I'm like, no, no, no. Republicans didn't weren't always this way historically. So also, right. we talk about our show. Like, I think the fascinating thing is that the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Acts are not passed in Congress without Republican support. Mm -hmm. Democrats had the majority in both of those places, but they actually voted more against it because even in the '60s, we still had Dixiecrats. Oh, we ten of them. Yeah. So it's flipped yeah. in history. You yeah. know, it, Lincoln was a Republican. Right. Yes. But Andrew Jackson was a Democrat. Right. And Andrew Jackson's a real piece of shit, yeah. which we do talk about on our show and will multiple times. So for you, what does it mean to be, as we're saying now, an authentic conservative and also be a gay man in a party that in 2021 does not love that part of you? Right. Yeah. And, and, um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately they're wrong about that. Um, I think an authentic conservative is somebody who believes in a strict reading of the Constitution, mm -hmm. who believes in original meaning, as defined by Antonin Scalia, and I can go into that if you want at some point, but it, it, it's just when amendment when the Constitution was passed and when amendments to the Constitution are passed, you look at the context of the passage when you can't figure out the meaning. Mm -hmm. Many passages are very clear, and you don't have to go to the context to figure out what they mean. Right. But when you look at something like the Second Amendment mm -hmm. on gun control, it's only 27 words right. and it's a little ambiguous. So you have to go to the content, uh, the context of the time to understand that the amendment really was for forming militias and gave control of guns to the states. Right. So as a conservative, I'm in favor of gun control. Right. Because that's what they meant. Yeah. This is at the time. One of my favorite stories, and we'll have to tell it specifically on the podcast, but can you do a Cliff's Notes version of Shay's Rebellion, which is really yeah. what inspired the Second Amendment? Shea, Dennis Shay's uh, hated taxes being imposed on him by the Massachusetts uh, government. And so he rebelled against them. He got a bunch of people together. Um, they uh, marched on, get this, a uh, courthouse oh. and uh, surrounded it so that the jurors could not go in and uh, uh, listen to a case against a farmer who didn't pay his taxes. Got it. So that's how the revolt started. And then they got more and more men and they actually led a rebellion. And on August 27th, uh, 1880, uh, 1876, they, I'm sorry, 1886, they, uh, there was a clash mm. with the militia that had been formed by governor Bowden. Uh, of Massachusetts, which he funded with money from the banks. Okay. 
uh, and they defeated Denishes. They killed some people. Denishes escaped with most of his men and crossed the border into Vermont. And the militia did not feel that they could cross that border right. without violating the sovereignty of Vermont. Eventually, uh, Shays was pardoned in 1888, 1788, um, when the same time the Constitution was ratified. So Shays' rebellion is right up against the writing of the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. So the First Amendment was aimed at empowering states to put down rebellions, not to allow citizens to Second Amendment, you mean not First Second Amendment, sorry. Yeah. The Second Amendment was to empower- Wait, pause. Mm Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah. So the Second Amendment really was never intended to do what it does today. No. Okay, we got to go back a little bit. So yes. one, can, did he explain to you the meaning of original meaning first? Because I think that's important. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what he talks about and what he references in terms of the way that the Constitution is supposed to be read is that original intent is obviously a huge, huge piece of this. But then when you get in different specific Supreme Court justices, they're all bringing their personal bias as much as they're supposed to not to this interpretation. And even Anton Scalia, who is not, I mean, as far as my politics go, my favorite person, um, provided and did the work as uh, some okay reading on the Second Amendment to be like, listen, this is not exactly what it's supposed to to do for you. And, and Shay's Rebellion is really this proof in terms of historical context of saying, the way that people mostly read it now is like, I'm allowed to form militias with my buddies and our AR-15s to fight back against the federal government, which is not true. It's essentially the easiest example we could make is to say that the people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th, the states have the power to give random strangers weapons in order to stop people like that from storming the Capitol. So if you have a group of crazy people descending on California state Capitol, the state of California can say, hey, random citizens, here are guns. Stop these crazy people. That's essentially the right to bear arms is a state's rights and state's granted thing. Interesting. Okay. The Second Amendment was to empower the states to form militias with people who had the right to bear arms. Right. And the state could then grant that right to bear arms. Got it. It's not this willy-nilly like, I want my guns. Like, just no. AR-15s and all these different things. So to know that you are an authentic conservative who is in favor of gun control and you believe in climate change as well. Mm-hmm. And Republicans Teddy created... Rose- Teddy Roosevelt was an authentic conservative and he, uh, you know, expanded our national parks. He was a well-known uh, uh, environmentalist. Mm-hmm. He broke up the trusts. Yeah. Um, competition, fair competition in the marketplace is a conservative standard. Okay. You know, and I think that's, that that's Repu- not a liberal standard. There's a lot of things too. Again, when we talk about the flip, like Republicans created the EPA, yes. which is wild. Richard Nixon. That it's now devolved into like, well, when Trump was president, like, well, how much can we actually just dump toxic waste into lakes? Yeah, kind of what it felt yeah. like. Yeah. Well, Trump was all about helping businesses no matter what. Right. And that's one of the things that Teddy Roosevelt was against. Yeah. Uh, the Republican Party had had drifted into becoming the pro-business party. Uh, after the Grant administration and during Reconstruction after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there were lots of rationalizations for that and reasons for that, but it was mainly because these businesses were built up during the Civil War in the North, and so they were Republican-oriented. Right. So there's just some uh, some interesting context there that I think a lot of people, when we look at history, and I think that, I mean, the premise of this podcast that Craig and I are starting together is, one, it's a fun dynamic of like a 34-year-old person and a 77-year-old person, but um, that people sort of forget that history is not a straight line and it's not simple, you know, and it isn't exactly black and white the way that we want it to be. In fact, you know, Andrew Jackson, as was said in the clip, was a Democrat, but Andrew Jackson is responsible for all kinds of horrible fucking things. And Abraham Lincoln was a Republican, and but the Emancipation Proclamation didn't mean that he loved black people. He also wanted to put them on boats and ship them out of the country. So all these people that we glorify in history and all these parties that we glorify People forget the bad shit exactly. because they don't want that part. Exactly. Always, with everything. And that the parties flip-flop in terms of history, some of, t- some of the things that we see moralistically. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. And I, Craig is obviously such a wealth of information of this. 
When it comes to discussing politics, there are certain keywords that individuals will involuntarily flag, like liberal or conservative. Today, knowing where someone stands in terms of their political philosophies can affect and determine the outcome of the rest of a conversation and oftentimes an entire relationship. But when Will met Craig, he let him explain his viewpoint before jumping to conclusions. At first, when he said, like, I consider myself a conservative, I wanted to make sure I got the clarification from him because I know that he doesn't align with saying you're a conservative is the same as saying you support Trump in 2021. You know what I mean? That doesn't in this terminology of authentic conservative. I know what he means. And it's hard to get across to people, I think, because it's still sort of a threat response word. Um, but there is historically um, in terms of personal freedoms and personal liberties, that should be a fundamental thing that especially when we're talking about like queer rights and um, Black Lives Matter and everything that we're sort of having a conversation about today, the the brutally horrible hypocrisy of present day conservatism is that individual freedoms and rights should be granted to all those people because that is their fundamental moral platform. And yet they believe that their church and their belief should dictate the rule of law, which violates separation of church and state. So as an authentic conservative, getting the meaning out of that being that, no, no, we're going back to hardcore separation of church and state this original meaning of the constitution with context and that we genuinely care about people we care about the environment and guns are pretty fucking ridiculous <laughs> outside of apparently needing them in 1877 or whenever the fuck um so he got into uh speech writing um as a, after being a professor uh in college and ended up working for President Ford and the way that he got into that was uh, it's kind of a funny story. How did you start to stumble into speech writing and and that angle of your career? Yeah, that again was you know a total accident. I had never written a speech for anybody, and uh, in at the end of 1975, while Gerald Ford was president, I was invited down. I was teaching at the University of Virginia, and I was teaching courses in. Um, American public address, argumentation. I was the debate coach at the university. And uh, so I was invited down to the University of North Carolina to give a guest lecture, which was scheduled for 10 o'clock in the morning. And I, I gave the lecture and they said, you know, at noon, President Ford is coming. Oh, and, you know, you're a Republican and he's giving a speech uh, to the future homemakers of America. You want to go see it? And I said, sure, that'd be great. Mm -hmm. And I was a big fan of Gerald Ford. I thought he was very nice man and, uh, you know, a nice replacement for Richard Nixon. So I went to hear the speech and it was not good. Okay. And the professors who were with me, who tended to be on the liberal side, started kidding me about, you know, why can't the Republicans, you know, have a president who could be a better speaker than Ford and so on and so forth. And I, I was frustrated and I drove home uh, to Charlottesville and couldn't sleep. And I wrote a letter to the White House, five pages, single spaced, critiquing the president's speech in constructive, friendly terms. Right. And a week later, I was called for an interview at the White House. Wow. And that's how I started. I started at the top. You We're, cold emailed the White House. But I, cold, email, cold I, mailed the White I House. Cold, cold mailed uh, the White House. The interview process was fascinating. Um, I, I had the first person to interview me was the head of uh, White House personnel, Doug Smith. He passed me on to the editor for the speechwriters, Bob Orban, mm -hmm. who had been an editor for Red Skelton Show, <laughs> oh, okay. of all things. And then Orban evidently liked me, and he passed me on to Bob Hartman, who was the counselor to the president and the head speechwriter. And I had the longest time with Bob Hartman. And at the end of the Hartman interview, he said, just sit here for a minute. Um, I, I, I'll be right back. And I didn't know at the time, but his office was the old Rosemary Woods office, okay. which was right next to the Oval Office, okay. which is she was the secretary to Nixon. And so about five minutes later, Hartman came back into the office and he said, come with me. And he took me into the Oval Office and there was Gerald Ford puffing on a pipe. <laughs> and Hartman said, pending security clearance, scary words for me, yeah. pending security clearance, uh, Craig Smith will be your new 
speechwriter. He's a professor from the University of Virginia. And I swear to you, the first words out of Gerald Ford's mouth, he took his pipe out of his mouth and he said, professors haven't done well here. (laughs) And I said, Mr. President, with all due respect, why is that? And he says, they try to make me sound more eloquent Mm. than I want to sound. I want to talk the language of the common man and they never get anything done on time. And I said, I know, I know I work with them. Yeah. So was he out at this time? No, he didn't come out until 1996. Um, he lived his, I mean, obviously, you know, he's had 20 some odd years now, but if you think about that, if there's a 77 year old man, not to be out until 1996, um, he's working in the white house kind of under like cover of darkness, essentially where (laughs) it was a sort of don't ask, don't tell situation. Um, and that's the thing is like, that's another one of those things that even Clinton, um, um, What's the word? Even Clinton upheld Don't Ask, Don't Tell in terms of our military, in that we like to imagine um, people like Clinton and other presidents being very progressive. But you think of some of these policies that, again, as a very uh, foundational Democrat for the way that we we govern today, even Obama, when he first ran in 2008, was like, I don't support gay marriage. You know, there are things that people either felt like they had to do or say, but things that obviously... Um, contributed to keeping people like Craig uh, in the closet because even working for the White House, um, he thought that he was going to be outed. And I have a clip for that if you'd like to hear it. The the joke about working in the White House for me was I was toggling between paranoia and boredom. <laughs> okay. uh, and the reason was I was paranoid that they were going to discover me but there was no there was no evidence. I mean, I hadn't slept with anybody. Yeah. I hadn't I hadn't had sex with anybody. So, but I was always just afraid that something would come up, and uh, you know they'd interview one of the two or three people who knew I was gay. But that never happened. Uh, the The reason for the boredom is I'm a very fast writer, mm. and I could pop out a presidential speech very quickly. Okay. I don't know what took these other people so long. They hated me on uh, the, the other speechwriters at the beginning hated me. I mean, they just said, how do you do it so fast? Yeah. And I, yeah, I'm trained to do that. I'm a professor who teaches it. You know, it's right. not that hard. And I had also, uh, you know, engaged in intercollegiate competition, and extemporaneous speaking and impromptu speaking. And you have to come up with a speech very fast. Right. So I, I you know, I'd be assigned to speech and I'd write it and I had nothing to do. Hmm. You know, and I'm sitting there in my office in the White House. It's like, hmm. and you know, it's kind of funny. You'd you'd think it wouldn't be boring to just be in the White House, White House, but it was. That's fascinating, and that he was that good. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing is, like, he he talks about in another um, in another clip. Um, for him, it was this thing of like they asked loose enough questions for people to get by. When he interviewed for the speechwriting position. They asked him, have you, and like, imagine being asked this question at a fucking job interview. Have you ever slept with another man? That was the question that they asked him at the White House. And he had not had sex and said no, but they didn't ask him point blank, are you gay? Uh, so it, it, I just like the, the, the way that people used to go about this stuff, which is just the most abominable PR nightmare uh, in, in today's standards. Um, this is, this is at the top level. This is at the white house. And, um, if we think that change like doesn't happen fast enough, I mean, it's like Craig is walking, talking proof that like that was only in the seventies. Um, not, not really that long ago, especially when we look at, you know, the, the length of time and how much progress we've actually made. Where did that go from there? If if he was already bored, like started writing speeches for the president, like I would assume that's kind of the top right. goal. If you are a speech writer, like who else are you writing them for? No one. Well, yeah. And that's the thing is like, obviously also because of his um, politics in the present day, it's like there's not a whole lot of people for him to work with or for because the 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 dialogue has changed, you know, like he's not going to fucking write speeches for Donald Trump. Um, even back then, you know I mean? Like every conservative thinks like Reagan is really like the be all end all, but the, even, I mean, every, every administration is problematic to some degree, but Reagan is obviously, um, 
quite problematic in terms of what gets us to this separation of church and state problem because in the 80s, um, that's really when church money realized that they could sort of fund political campaigns and conservative Christian America as we know it was was born. Um, and Craig has an interesting uh, perspective on uh, the importance of separation of church and state. As a Catholic, can you also speak a little bit to your also, I mean, you have your religious beliefs, but you also believe very strongly in the separation of church and state. Oh, and yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, there is this feeling that that Christians, like conservative Christian America is like, no, this is the truth and you will have it, you know. As someone who, for you, considers yourself a devout Catholic, you admit that you're like, no, this shouldn't be involved in this. Right. Where does that come from? Well, it, 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 again, it goes back to my conservatism, and that is the separation of church and state is, is certainly outlined in the First Amendment. You have freedom of conscience in the First Amendment. The government can't establish a religion or endorse it. Mm-hmm. And that means also not endorsing religious positions uh, you know, right. uh, that, that, that have occurred. Um, I think uh, I, I personally am opposed to a woman's right to have an abortion, but the courts have settled that the other way. Mm-hmm. And they have read the constitution to say that a woman does have a right to an abortion. Mm-hmm. And that, in my opinion, is settled law. There you go. I can believe whatever I want, but mm-hmm. I can't impose it on women. Right you know, through legisl- legislation, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Just as I now have a right to get married where I didn't before. Mm-hmm. And you can't take that away from me yeah. under the Constitution. Right. If you read the Constitution correctly, and particularly the 14th Amendment, which, um, you know, grants me equal protection under the law and grants w- women equal protection under the law. Yeah. That's an important phrase. Yeah. What was your immediate, like, reaction to that in the room because I, I assume you grew up in a family that didn't feel that way no i mean my my family's very um as as some people would i think would say pro-life which i just take umbrage with that term because it's like you don't do anything else besides force women to have babies and then you're not around when it comes to helping people live their lives um i think hearing that is it, that's kind of a, a such an admirable thing, and it's why I love Craig. It's why we're friends, and I think it's why I, I'm very happy about this relationship and want this dialogue to have a bigger platform like this because we think about how to reach across the aisle. We think about how to have these dialogues. It's just tough now because there's very few people like Craig. Um, and so for him to say, you know, emotionally, Catholicism-wise, I don't believe in a woman's right to abortion. However, the Supreme Court ruled on Roe v. Wade, this is now law. You can't change this. And he respects the ruling of the Supreme Court and the upholding of the Constitution above his desire for his religion to dictate legislation, which, as he said, would be ridiculous. And if you think about it, anybody who's Christian in America, if any other belief system besides themselves said they were going to make laws, they would lose their minds. Um, And that's not something that's ever presented to them or that they seemingly ever have to think about. And I think it's a it's a very adult uh, and, again, authentic conservative way to interpret the Constitution and to and to uphold the rule of law, essentially. Do you personally believe that there actually is a separation of church and state? And the only reason I say that is because we talk about it. But at the same time, our currency says in God we trust. Right. At the end of pretty much every presidential speech on any topic, God bless America, is there. Even if that president did not run on a religious foundation, it's always there. Of course. And it's, 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 it's a virtual requirement. We've only ever had Christian, technically Christian uh, presidents and only two Catholic presidents, uh, Biden being the second. JFK was the first Catholic president. And Catholicism is just a different sect of Christianity. It's just you know, it's Christianity, but it's different. And when JFK was running in the 60s, so many Protestant Americans were like losing their minds. Like, could you imagine a Catholic running the country? Um, and so th- this country is 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 steeped in religion, despite the fact that the founding fathers really tried to get us out of that. Um, we've done a good job of fucking that up and bringing it back around. Because like, if you think about the Pledge of Allegiance, like children starting their days, pledging allegiance to the flag or to the country is is quite a fascistic kind of 
thing, you know, like people do that in sort of dictatorial countries where you strip away the identity in upholding this larger identity for the common good, which I would argue is more sort of communism than what they think that they're fighting. So to answer your question, that's a very long way of saying no, you know, religion is unfortunately such a huge part of how we govern um, that getting out of that is is going to take a, a long time. But it has to be a necessary recognition presenting the argument in the flip side of saying, like, well, would you want X, Y, Z to also make will and nilly rules about their religion? And their, you know, conservative Christian America's answer would, of course, be no. And so if you, it can't, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. You know, we all have to work together and we have to put down these things that technically make us different. Surprise, surprise. And govern from a legitimate, logistic kind of way. It's interesting you bring up the Pledge of Allegiance because I have on many occasion reflected on my like K through 12. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't in high school so much, but K through eight for sure. Education where every day and every flag assembly on Fridays started with, and I, I feel like even looking back at it, I never really felt that way doing it, but it always started with right hand over your heart, mm -hmm. ready, begin. That's very culty. It is and very culty. When, when people watch a documentary about North Korea or countries like that, it's like, oh, can you believe they do that? They worship him like a god and they say this whole thing every day. Uh, yes, I can believe that. And that's the thing is like, and you also look at um, kneeling, you know, during the, the, uh, the, um, what's the fucking song that they played every sporting event that you're supposed to cross your heart and stand up and be the a national good national anthem. National anthem. Thank you. I'm glad I forgot the title. Um, <clears throat> there. It, that is also something that when when people have this argument that fundamentally you are disrespecting the flag and therefore the troops, it's like, well, no, the troops technically in terms of freedoms have fought for the right to free speech and your ability to not do that. So, no, they're just upholding their constitutional rights. And two, uh, if they want to get perfect about the Bible, of which I am also very familiar because of my upbringing, um, we are encouraged not to worship idols. And I think that we have created an idol out of the flag, unfortunately. It is so important. It is so otherworldly now that it is it is second to God. And it, that's very dangerous. And I think Trump took hold of this desire to really lean into fascism uh, is, is essentially what we're what we were looking at. And unfortunately, now the party has has gone full tilt in that direction. When we come back, Craig comes out in his 50s and a mutilated Republican Party. Welcome back. Today, we're speaking with Will Sterling, one of the hosts of the upcoming podcast, History Rated R. Through Will, we met Craig Smith, a gay man who refuses to identify as a Republican and instead opts for the title Authentic Conservative. While working as a speechwriter for the White House, Craig always feared someone would out him as gay. He was about 30 years old while working for President Ford, where he remained deep inside the closet. Let's kind of go, let's go back to Craig sort of growing up in the 60s and, and really his identity as a, as a gay man and sort of understanding um, his place in the world at a time where it was very difficult. So, so then your story in that way, what was it like, you know, growing up? I mean, it's well, the, I, the know, worst question I think anyone could ever ask anybody is like, when did you know you were gay? Because the answer is always like <laughs> my whole life. But for you no, growing no, no. up, knowing... It wasn't my whole life, but it, it was very early. I knew I was gay when I was seven. Okay. Cause that, I was, to me, that's your whole life. I was physically attracted to my older cousin. Yeah. And I knew that that was strange. And I kept it a secret. And then, um, you know, the, the older I got, the more I knew that I was gay, the people I would look at, the things that, that attracted me, um, you know, the Sears catalog. <laughs> uh, and then, the when, then when I was catalog. in high school, remember, you know, I'm in high school like 1960, 1961. Mm -hmm. And so I went to the library and looked up homosexuality. Okay. And, what it, and it was classified as a mental disorder at that time. Oh, wow. And that absolutely drove me into the closet. I mean, and, and, and millions of other people. Yeah. You're not going to come out at that time because you would be deemed mentally ill. Right. You couldn't be employed anywhere. Right. Uh, so, you know, it was very bad. And and that kind of thing kept happening. I mean, I, I was very lucky. The Ford administration had a 
don't ask, don't tell policy. Mm-hmm. When I was given, uh, I was di- I was given deep, deep security clearance in the White House. Okay, and it's because they didn't ask the right question. Mm. The FBI said, "Have you ever slept with a man?" Mm-hmm. I had not. I was a good Catholic. Right. So I had that conflict in my life too. <laughs> That's why I forget say, Republican. I was a Catholic, the gay Catholic Republican. You're yeah. a walking contradiction. Yeah. So uh, you know, they asked me if I had ever slept with a man. I said no, and and that you know, they did not ask me if I was homosexual. Mm. And so you know, too bad. Yeah. Missed missed the question, and and you know, I snuck through, and then. AIDS comes along and you talk about something driving you into the closet further. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That was horrific. I lost friends, you know, that I had secretly revealed myself to Mm. and they'd revealed themselves to me. So Um, you had a close network of people you trusted. Very small. Okay. Very, very small. Maybe three people. Really? Yeah. Wow. And you didn't come out until the nineties, right? 96. I, I decided, uh, I would not come out while my father was alive. Mm. Because at the end of his life, he was in some pain. He was sick, and I just didn't want to make things worse. He was yeah. homophobic. Okay, um, you know that part of his conservatism was unfortunate. But he'd been in the Navy, and there had been Navy parties at my house, and mm. they talked about fags and right. you know all that kind of stuff. That drove me further into the closet. Right. Um, and once he passed away in uh, March of uh, 1996, I immediately came out. So, so you were ready to go. You, I was ready to go. You weren't even. I was ready. I was scared. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a therapist lined up. <laughs> as as but, you should. Yeah. Uh, and and he was wonderful. Um, and my all of my friends except two were very supportive. Okay. But all of your friends except two. Two broke off their relationships. With Got me. it. Okay. They couldn't handle it. Really? Yeah. Their colleagues, your age, same? One was a professor and my former debate partner in college. Oh, wow. And he couldn't handle it. And uh, he just broke off the friendship and, you know, say la vie. Yeah. Um, and another was a former student who said the oddest thing. He said, I thought you were bisexual. Like what? And what? I said, well, I, I'm not. I'm homosexual. And he said... That's terrible. Like, it was okay to be bisexual, but it was not okay to be homosexual. It was yeah. very weird. And haven't, I haven't spoken to that person since either. Got it. Fast forward to when you met him. Did, did he come out to you? I, I met him in 2000 and, uh, uh, 2009. So he's already, I mean. So it's only 10 years, really, since he came out. Yeah, but that's that the thing is that, like, obviously in the, in the school, uh, as the chair of the film department, Craig's not walking around with a big pride flag. You know what I mean? Like I'm the gay chair of the film department. Like he spent from the birth to 1996, you know, shoved into a closet, not feeling comfortable to talk about this thing that, uh, especially also with a Catholic upbringing. So still kind of hold, holds himself in a very reserved sort of way. You know what I mean? Like is, is, Everybody has the right to live however they want in terms of whatever it's supposed to be. There's no right or wrong in terms of the way that you celebrate who you are. And I think that um, it was never immediately known to me just because it wasn't a necessary topic of conversation. And I think I just learned over like a dinner conversation one night and was like, oh, okay. You know, like I'm in college at this point. Uh, It's always been fine to me. Uh... So there was never any, you know, there was never any worry, I think, from from him to me or, or anything like that. There's an interesting element of history in Craig as well, in that he's tied to real American history, like he was there, he did it. There's speeches out there he worked on as a queer person who was sort of erased by history Right. Because they never asked, are you gay? Mm-hmm. So he just didn't say it. Right. So in terms of like, if someone wrote a history book about Craig, that element would not have been in there. It would have after he came out. Yeah. But it's like, it definitely shines a light on queer his- queer people throughout history that have been huge parts of history. Right. That you just don't know about. Well, yeah. And, that, and he, he tells funny, fun stories about, you know, I mean, technically you ask any historian, I guess. So we have a, we'll have a segment called fan fact check. Cause I anticipate a lot of angry people writing into us and saying it's wrong. Um, 
people like George Washington sleeping with, uh, you know, a French general like it, during the Revolutionary War because France was helping the United States. And it's like, can you prove that they fucked? It's like, I guess not. But they were sleeping in the same bed, you know, and it's like, uh, so we don't know. You know, all history is very queer. And we unfortunately erase the fact that, like you said, like these people in queer history have been erased, despite the fact that history itself is incredibly queer and you have all these people um who really were you know what i mean who have all these you know apparent like that we tell a story about how abraham lincoln had you know maybe had gay lovers like we like there's a lot of stories out there with a lot of proof historically backed up to suggest that these people had liaisons and different things because that's the thing is a lot of people say like, well, where did all these gay people come from these days? And it's like, they were always there. Are you fucking for real? You know, it's like, it, it's just nobody talked about it. Um, and so ideally with Craig being one of the members of that history, you know, as you said, as a 77 year old guy, um, he is a part of that. And uh, we want to bring a lot of those stories to life, even if people would would say that they were uh, just rumors. So Craig sort of discusses how, what it means to be a gay conservative and how the party's kind of mutated, you know? Yeah. Um, okay, let's hear it. And so for you personally, with this party and with, with your background, I mean, you, your story sees a lot of evolution, you know, in terms of how long you've been a Republican. And, and so where do you feel personally as someone who does identify as a gay man, like how it doesn't how that affects you because the narrative I used to think for Republicans was like, um, less taxes. Don't get in yes. my business, live your yes. life. I don't want to, don't right. tell me what to do. I won't tell you what to do. Right. But now we've lost separation of church and state and it's really become a church. Well, it's, yeah. And it's another reason to leave the Republican party. You know, in 1991, Barry Goldwater, Mr. Conservative mm -hmm. defended the rights of gays to get married. Hmm. I mean, that was a pretty stunning moment. Yeah. And I was there wow. when he wrote the editorial for the Washington Post. Okay. Uh, and he had been educated over time. From 1964 to 1991, Barry Goldwater went through uh, a, a wonderful evolution that made him less radically conservative and more in favor of people's rights and more libertarian. Right. <coughs> um, it's loud. And, 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 yeah, and he became, uh, I think, an authentic conservative. Okay. Let's balance the budget. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there, let's get out of, and he, the phrase he used in the Washington Post editorial was, let's get out of the bedroom. Yeah. Get out of my bedroom, you know, get out of my life. Right. I have the right to be left alone. Right. Um, consensual sex is not to be. Uh, interfered upon. with. Okay. And eventually the Supreme Court, thanks to a wonderful, People like uh, uh, Anthony Kennedy, uh, a swing justice on the Supreme Court, we got gay rights. Right, right. Yeah, so I think the thing too is like even looking at somebody like Barry Goldwater, who I don't, you know, how much like listeners are familiar with somebody like him, but uh, even that phrase, you know, like stay out of the bedroom has has been has been perverted into this. Like, how many times have you seen um, people being like, "I want you can be whoever you want to be, just like don't make it my business." Or it's just I don't I don't need to be, and it's like nobody fucking nobody's trying to make it your business. Actually, you're you're making it your business by not by being upset about it, by being afraid about it. Like, well, how about we'll leave you alone if you shut the fuck up, and we'll leave you alone, and you won't. You know what I mean? Like this kind of like just let people be. This fundamental principle and what uh, Craig sort of considers a, a big part of authentic conservatism is has really just been lost um because the separation of church and state has crumbled even more a great deal even more and i think you know behind that is is money and power unfortunately because i wouldn't say trump is a devout christian like he held a bible upside fucking down outside of a church where they're tear gas protesters so he could take a picture in front of it yeah because you can use that picture later to placate to people <laughs> Right, exactly. And it's like, oh, I forgot about the time Jesus tear gassed people so he could walk up to the cross and take his selfie and his pictures before they hung him up on it. Like, it's just really been perverted, unfortunately. And Craig talks about there being sort of a way out, but it's a it's not it's not promising, unfortunately. So. I mean, I feel like this is such an 
interesting topic because you started this by kind of discussing how everyone today now feels like conservator or not conservator um, being conservative is almost like a bad word. It really now. is. In when the you last see few American years, flag. it sort of became that. Yeah. Even more so than Republican. Right. It in some weird way. I mean, yeah. I when you see American flags on lawns or trucks, what's your first thought? Oh yeah, yeah. Right. No, absolutely. Right. Well, did, then, do you feel like the things and the conversations you've had with him? I feel like on social media, you've definitely been very vocal about, you know, your political opinions of different parties mm-hmm. and. Do you feel like your opinions have shifted at all with this introduction of like add an adjective to conservative and now it's different? Do you feel like it is different or is it still the same? That's a good question Uh, because to me, and that's just my relationship with Craig, like he's allowed to be whoever he wants to be and and title himself however he wants. Um, But I I really think and he talks about the only way out really outside of a couple of level headed Republicans, if we could call them that is there's going to have to be a third party. There's going to some third party is going to have to break out of this because it just can't be sustained. We cannot go back to any kind of conservatism or republicanism that we had before because it's it's just gone off the rails to such a degree um, that I think that. If, if we really push came to shove and uh, Craig, if there was some other movement, we're probably like, oh, maybe I'm that party, you know, but I also respect and admire the fact that he doesn't want to let go of something that he actually believes in the fundamental core values of that used to mean something good. It used to mean something, su- surprise, kind of progressive, as we had, he had kind of mentioned and we talked about it in an earlier clip, like the Civil Rights and the Voting Rights Acts aren't passed until 65 and 66. And that those are only accomplished because of majority Republican support. Democrats ran the Senate and the House at the time, but you still had a fuck ton of Dixiecrats, which were racist Southerners who were technically Democrats who hated black people. And those are quote unquote Democrats. And they were termed Dixiecrats because they fucking sucked and they were racist. And they ruined it for everybody. And it was because of Republican support for those two things that they were passed. And that's not even a hundred years ago that we pass the Civil Rights and Voting Rights Acts. Um, so there is this like constant shift and change that unfortunately it's gone in the other direction. But I do feel that like for Craig to have grown up and with these principles and these morals and believe in a sort of a strict reading of the constitution and believe that if the, the courts ruled on it, this is law, we have to respect this. There is something like he deserves to be, in my opinion, like you're the, he's the only real conservative in the world. Everyone else is just a fucking imposter. Um, but that's because he's my friend, you know, and um, again, the only way that we continue to have these conversations is not with just like minded people like ourselves, you know, people who kind of push us in ways we like and don't like, but still respect us and value us and care about us. And that's, you know, that's like this friendship, which is why it's important to me. You're going to do this podcast together. Yes. And it's really kind of about the dark side of history, right? That exists and that is there and it about is. historical. F- and in a funny way. Figures. Yeah. But doesn't that feel, I, I'm curious if I feel like you're a very optimistic and, and well, maybe not, not optimistic is the wrong word, but like you try to see the best mm-hmm. or the good part of things. Yeah. And now you've got this podcast about all the dark parts of things. Well, is there any element that is like, do I really want to know what the dark side of this is? Well, that's the thing. Is that the I had f- no idea Lincoln was like, free the slaves and then send them away. Put them on a boat. I had no idea that was a thing. That it was a thing, yes. Um, and that's the thing. is like, you know, you look at Daniel Day-Lewis and the Spielberg movie and I was like, turn this shit off. The amount of people in in Hollywood that have just like painted racism and, and slavery as this almost like quaint kind of thing. It's just, it's really gross. And so, but the thing about, it's called History Rated R in terms of we're analyzing people um, and events and places and things um, with a modern day context, but it's not meant to beat you over the head and make you super sad. It's really Craig is the expert. He's the he's the compendium and wealth of knowledge, and I'm the idiot who doesn't know anything because truly I don't. It's almost this format that we're doing of this where you're like, I have I have no idea what we're gonna do. Like walk me through this. Craig's like, okay, I have this story prepared, and I'm great. And so I ask questions and make jokes along the way. But the foundation of the story that he's telling is really just to kind of walk us through history, to give people a very comfortable seat at a table to hear a a story about history in a non 
classroomy way, but also in a non, I think like, the, you know, there's also a degree to which it seems like people have overcorrected in their wokeness to where now everybody's like presentation of stuff is, is too, um, buttoned up that it's, that it almost sucks some of the fun and the life out of it. So I'm sort of there to ask questions and, and poke and prod and be like, but he was kind of a piece of shit, right? I was like, well, of course, but w the, the show is really meant to, to educate people and be more fun than anything else because we're not dwelling on the shittiness of what people did we're sort of talking about history and then bringing up some of these things but you know the foundation of it is you know those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it and here we are with the president trump being elected nobody thought it would happen in 2016 and it's like did we fucking learn nothing in the 400 years that we've been a country and it's like apparently fucking not and so how else can we start to educate people? And it's like, we have to talk about these things. You know, if we don't, they're just going to happen again. I think your podcast is going to end up being one of those podcasts that you listen to it. And there's something like that, I don't know, that you like passionate about, that you love. And then you're going to find something out about it and be like, no, no, that did not happen. A hundred percent. There's so many things where I'm like, are you kidding me? And he's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, great, sweet. That, that changes everything. Um, and I also don't want to try to like strong arm into our podcast to say uh, we're going to rewrite history um, in a woke way. You know, history has to be what it is. We do have to be fairly unbiased despite my jokes and, and other things like it just fucking is what it is, unfortunately. And like we talk about the Mexican-American War, like how we started that on purpose just so we could kill Mexicans and take land. You know, like shocker, we did that Columbus and America did that from the from the get go. Um, that's our history, you know, when we talk about American history, world history is all over the place, but, um, that's kind of the, the, the premise of our show. And like, I'm always just like, what's our, what's our show about Craig? And he had something kind of funny. That's also kind of the, the, the premise for our new podcast, which this is helping promote called, what's it called, Craig? Uh, you don't even remember something about shit history <laughs> history rated r something about shit something about shit because my tagline for it is in history everyone's a piece of shit um but it, anyway you know it's just a it's a fun relationship and something that i want to highlight our podcast is a lot of fun we drink martinis we eat dinner we talk about food we talk about history um and we answer questions and uh as any as hard as anybody could try to try any kind of gap bridging you know like that's that's in a small way with this sort of hopes to do so okay when does the podcast come out when can people listen tune in find out other you know the, rated r moments throughout history that will piss them off the podcast uh will be launching the day that this episode goes up so whenever this is out episode one is out if you're listening to Pride right now and you seem interested in History Rated R, find us on Apple, Spotify, wherever we get your podcasts. Pride is a production of Straw Hut Media. If you like the show, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Then follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Snapchat at Pride. And tune in weekly for new episodes. Be sure to share this episode with your friends and subscribe for more stories from amazing queer people. If you'd like to connect with me, you can follow me everywhere at Levi Chambers. Pride is produced by me, Levi Chambers, Maggie Bowles, Ryan Tillotson, Caitlin McDaniel, and Brandon Marlowe. Edited by Silvana Alcala and Daniel Ferreira. Sound mixing by Silvana Alcala. I loved this. Ryan, I think this is a great episode. And then I was like, we could do more episodes on that. Right? You could do yeah. more episodes. I love that. Because I think this will be a really cool episode.